Hi, guys. Bienvenidos. And welcome to The Latino Card. I'm Rebecca De Leon. I'm Nicole Foy. And I'm JJ Saldana. Today we're recording from the Radio Boise studio, and we have an extremely special guest, somebody who is very, very well respected in the Latino community and outside the Latino community, somebody who I personally look up to so much and have looked up to for so many years. We have the Judge Sergio Gutierrez as our guest, and we are so delighted to have him. This has actually been... Um, one of the podcasts that we've been most excited about, anticipating, and and the judge has sent. I'm sorry, are we allowed to call you the judge here? That's kind of like or the you, doctor. You, you, can, you, can call, you can call me whatever you doctor want. Doctor judge. Yeah, now I, I I can go by any title now. Yeah. <laughs> the Honorable Judge Gutierrez. And that will say the whole thing every time we address you. <laughs> the Honorable Doctor Judge Gutierrez. Okay, so we got the name down. Um, and we are really excited to talk to to you today, and we are so excited to hear um, all about your story, and we have so many questions for you. So, bienvenido, and thank you so much for coming. And it truly is an honor to have you here. It really is an honor. And it's an honor for me to be invited uh, and to share uh, among the great guests that you've already had and, and to continue to build uh, this uh, podcast uh, for the benefit of, of all our, our communities in and around the Treasure Valley. Thank you. Yeah. You flatter us too much. Yeah. <laughs> we have, like, my mom listens to this podcast and a few other people. It's, it's no big no. deal. Well, I think as if many of our listeners probably know you as um, Idaho's first Latino judge, and you actually just received um, a honorary doctorate from Boise State University. Um, gosh, how many was it? A couple of weeks ago. It was May, I believe, the second weekend of May. Can you tell us about how this came about and how you got this honorary doctorate? Yes, this was interesting. Um, Last year, I made my announcement that I would retire at the end of uh, 2018. And that announcement was made in May. Around November, I got a call from Boise State acting president that they were interested in having me participate in this commencement ceremony. And then he added, and... Uh, offer the honorary doctorate's degree. So it just really moved me um, to hear from Boise State uh, after what appears to be a a long relationship, but one that is really special because, as most folks know, I got my undergraduate degree at Boise State University, um, beginning with the first group of bilingual teachers that started that program in that program. So to come full circle and now at the end of my career, be honored in this way it was very very uh, I would say touching and moving and um, great uh, to see that the work that had, I had accumulated uh, through the years uh, was being recognized. So can you tell us a little bit about that work before you started at Boise State what was what was your story what brought you to Idaho? Well it, it's it's a uh, I would say the the story of an ordinary young man. Uh, I was born in Chihuahua. Uh, My parents came to the U.S. when I was one year old. Uh, And we settled in the San Joaquin Valley in California, which is uh, because we were farm workers. Uh, And uh, the thing that I think was um, very significant in the early part of my life was that when the family broke up and I was about four or five years old, I was sent to live with my grandmother in New Mexico. Um, and the, the importance about that was that um, she really, although she was unsophisticated, uh, um, a native from 
Zacatecas, she had taught herself how to read, and she taught me how to read in Spanish, of course. Mm -hmm. And so instilling in me that love for learning really, I think, uh, laid the groundwork for what would come. I always joke around with, with, with the kids when I talked to them in, in school. I said, you know, I really was not much uh, when I was growing up. Matter of fact, I, I couldn't even talk. Uh, I had to take these classes for my speech impediments, these special classes. And then, and then in terms of relating it to the bench, I said, I tried out for basketball and I made the second team, but I was mostly on the bench. I said, but you know what? It was just preparation for coming on the bench when I got older. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah. I like that. So after Boise State, where did you go to law school? Uh, you know, when I started Boise State in 1976, and then in 1978, I got a job as an outreach worker with Legal Services, who had also just gotten a new program off the ground to serve farm workers. And so I applied for the outreach worker position and uh, was hired. And then I, my eyes were open to a great need, and that is there were no Latino lawyers except maybe a couple uh, those days uh, in Idaho. And there were some uh, bilingual attorneys, but only a handful. Uh, and then very few people who were uh, lawyers who were actually doing any kind of immigration work. So I, I um, asked myself the question, can you um, offer more um, if you go to law school? And, and just seeing what I saw, uh, and in those days uh, under Idaho law, farm workers had no protections. Uh, and so I, I made the decision to go to law school at uh, actually very naive, not really knowing what I was doing. Uh, and I applied to two law schools, one in San Francisco and one in, in, uh, in D.C. Um, they both rejected me uh, as being undocumented, for being undocumented. So fortunately, wow. one of the lawyers at Legal Services, uh, Camilo Lopez, prepared a nice letter and my documentation. And, and so immediately they both turned around and, and offered me the admission. So I decided to go to, uh, the first one that came in was uh, Hastings, and I didn't want to take a chance, so I, I accepted there, and I was very glad that I got to go to, to Hastings, which is, uh, if, if you know, is where the California Supreme Court sits, uh, the federal uh, U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals sits. So it was a great place to go study law. And did you always know you'd come back to Idaho? Absolutely. My plans throughout um, law school was to come back and to work with legal services and to serve farm workers, which I did for, for nine years uh, following That's my, so kind of my uh, getting uh, licensed. What's some of the work you're most proud of? What are some significant cases that you felt like you handled? Well, you know, it's really interesting because my, my, my work and the significance of my work um, in the uh, court system and the justice system um, isn't so much about an individual case, but is uh, about um, the process and something that I didn't realize, again, being uh, not knowledgeable and not having been exposed to the law, I, I knew that the law, the case law, uh, was extremely important um, to address, uh, whether it's in the criminal context or in the civil context, those issues that come before a judge. But the process under which um, um, litigants and lawyers operate uh, is just as important. And, and that hit me right away. Uh, I, as a district judge, uh, my first year I got a first-degree murder case in Weezer. The two things that uh, stood out um, w when I handled that case was that um, the 
as I did the first arraignment, we were struggling to get through the arraignment because the interpreter, who had been the interpreter for a long time there and was right upon, um, really, my knowing both languages, was not able to interpret. Oh, wow. And I, I in terms of justice, to be fully present uh, and to have your case heard, you, you have to be able to not only um, communicate with the judge and your lawyer, but also understand all that is going on. So interestingly enough, my career from that, from that case is tied to the work that was done um, so that the Idaho Supreme Court um, initiated uh, and developed a state uh, a Supreme Court state uh, court interpreter program, which um, now is fully operational with certification, with testing, um, with um, trained uh, people both at the Supreme Court that directs or manages uh, the interpreter program, and then all the folks that work in, in the courthouses around the, the state. So it, it to me, you can see that... Um, when you have um, lawyers that come from different backgrounds, they can contribute significantly, not mm -hmm. only in terms of the case law, but just in terms of the, what we would call the administration of justice. And I think this also goes into a little bit bigger question that I have been dying to ask you also. I've just been dying to pick your brain for a very long time, <laughs> so this is such a treat for me. So, you know, we like to think of justice as being blind. Um, doesn't matter who you are, big, tall, small, brown, old, young, you know, justice is always blind. And so um, I think that there's kind of a logical fallacy in saying that if justice is blind, then why would representation matter Why in, in judges and the, the system? So you being the very first Latino judge in Idaho, why does that matter? It matters significantly. Uh, one of the things that shocked me uh, when I went to law school, uh, sitting in one of my classes, and we were going over a case, and there was a student uh, that responded to the outcome of the case uh, very strongly uh, and uh, told the professor that it was not fair, that the outcome was not fair. And, and so here, here I am just, you know, like every day in, in study, studying in the classroom, um, and then hearing the professor say, um, I'm sorry, but the law is not about it being fair, and I, I it, it floored me. I, I wasn't sure what he meant by that, but but of course, then having finished uh, uh, the work at law school, the work as a lawyer, and then getting into the work as a judge, uh, I realized that um, we do have certain expectations, uh, but in terms of the justice system, it is uh, the best system in the world that we know, but it is not perfect. And so every day that we go to work, whether it's the judge, uh, the staff attorney, the judicial assistant, uh, we know that we're working to improve what we uh, do in the justice system to serve the public. And so just like I, I told you about the court interpreter um, a program that now is in place, um, it, that was not identified and resources had not been applied to it at that time. But once that was identified, the work was done to then bring it up to where it needs to be. And so, for instance, uh, in Ada County alone, I believe, uh, on a, year, a yearly basis, you would have maybe interpreters used in 50 different languages. 
you know, it, it, so you can see then the the work towards perfection or the work the work towards making the justice system um, better able to serve all people, not just in people, but all people, is ongoing. And so th there's many elements and many dimensions to uh, what needs to be done. So I, 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 I want us to be able to um, continue to trust and have confidence in the justice system, but also know that um, it is important uh, that we look at how to make it better. And for that, maybe takes me to the other contribution within the court system, and that is, uh, I, while I, I handle various committee assignments, uh, one very important committee assignment was to uh, co-chair the Supreme Court Judicial Retention and Recruitment uh, Committee. And we were given a one-year assignment. Uh, and so uh, the reason being that there had been very few applicants to judgeships, open judgeships, and we're wondering why aren't people applying. The other one was the fact that um, uh, when you look uh, at from a certain point when, when we started working on that issue backwards, there had been like 30-something uh, straight appointments, and they were all white males. And so you, you began to see that there is something uh, that we needed to do differently mm -hmm. to attract more qualified um, lawyers to uh, offer uh, uh, themselves to serve in, in the career as a judge. Um, so the, the being able to have that representation be more diverse in our bench, extremely important because, again, the contributions that you make, not only in terms of the law, but in terms of looking at the areas that we are perhaps uh, lacking to make improvements and 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 so there are there is much work that is going on at the administrative level that the public is not aware of, but that are looking to address uh, the needs uh, for uh, improving the justice system. On that, when you um, when you announced your retirement, um, there was a lot of news coverage about obviously the fact you were the first Latino judge in Idaho and all of the work that you have done. But what was something that was kind of overlooked by by some people or maybe wasn't obvious was that with your retirement there were now going to be no Latino judges in Idaho I mean was can you and you've and you've talked a little bit about how you're trying to encourage the next yes. generation can you tell us yes. about that yes you know uh, one of the things that um, uh, the work that one does um, as a judge um, it, it involves also the administrative work uh, under the direction of the Supreme Court, but also you're working with the bar and the law schools. And so um, along with Richard Boardman, um, a lawyer here in Boise, uh, we were able to get the um, uh, bar commissioners to authorize uh, a new uh, section, which we call the diversity section. And the, the goal of the diversity section really was to uh, began to create a pipeline, uh, programs for a pipeline that we could um, bring the, the, the career of, of the law to underrepresented uh, uh, students at, at the high school level. And so there are these great programs that take place every year, at least um, two if not uh, more than twice a year up north uh, in, uh, here in the Boise area and then uh, in the eastern part of the state. And we have connected with great uh, government teachers and other uh, teachers in high school. 
And so we get to have these, these students uh, take a look at uh, uh, the possibility of, of a career in the law. Um, well, it, it was very um, difficult for me um, when I, I, I thought about it quite a bit before I announced my retirement about what was going to happen that there would be this void with maybe, well, actually only two other um, uh, uh, judges of color on, in the state uh, judiciary. Uh, and that is Judge Lee, uh, uh, Asian American from uh, Nampa, and uh, Judge Onanubosi, uh, African American from uh, Nampa, also in the Magistrate uh, Division. So, yeah, it was a very difficult decision, uh, knowing that it, there would be this this uh, void uh, with my absence. But uh, again, on the positive side, uh, through the work that was done through the diversity section and many other folks that work uh, within the law schools. Concordia and University of Idaho Law Schools. Uh, there has been in the last five years an increase, tremendous increase in the number of, of students of color uh, attending both our, our law schools here in Idaho. And that has been a delight. Um, you know, when I look now at the bar uh, magazine that has who's, uh, who's going to be taking the bar and I'm looking for names. Oh, I, it's so refreshing now. Before I would get depressed because I would find one or two <laughs> names, you know, uh, and and now we're 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 doing so much better. And I, and I thank uh, the law schools for the work that they've in, invested in reaching out uh, to um, uh, those communities. I think you have set a really really great example um, for specifically Latinas and Latinos of you know what can be accomplished for somebody who really takes. There, I mean, specifically in the area of law, really takes that and really applies it with a community-minded um, approach. Because you have done so many great things, not just for law, but for the community also. So, if, you know, over the years, I have seen you um, speak to high schools, and I mean, you are very. I think you take mentorship very seriously, and um, you know, that's something again that I've always looked up to you for is um, you, you speak with such humility, but you carry yourself as somebody who is both, um, you know, distinguished, but also very humble. I mean, when you just started talking about your story, you, you said it was an ordinary story, and there's, there's nothing ordinary it's about it. It's extraordinary. It's The, 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 the man wonderful. is ordinary. The story is extraordinary. I have such a hard time believing that, though. <laughs> and, it, and it's the formula that I, I thought about, you know, how, how looking back, how, you, how do you describe it? And as you look for words of wisdom and, and you hear from different folks, and, and so perhaps we can share this with the young people, is that we, we don't think of it in terms of, you know, where you might end up, but you do first what is necessary, then you do what is possible, and before you know it, mm -hmm. you'll be doing what's impossible. And, and you can see that not only in terms of the work that I've done as a lawyer, as a judge, but for folks who don't know, um, I, I am a runner, and so uh, at age 40 when I became a judge, I, I took up running, and so I went from uh, the small uh, races to, to, to the marathon. Uh, my goal was to break the three-hour mark, uh, uh, and I, I got close at three hours, three minutes. Wow. And, and then from there, moving to do uh, Ironman competition. Oh, wow. Uh, Jeez. So, so, so in other words, it, it's not really something that you set out to do, but once you experience those steps and you experience success, then you realize, I can do more. 
and really that's that's really it's it's been a um, uh, um, I, I for me just great to be able to look back and see that it took time and it took hard work uh, and it took persistence uh, but there was a lot of good that came from it and I also think you're very pro youth like you talked about your running and correct me if I'm wrong but you used to run with the students at the Hispanic Youth Symposium every Absolutely. year they, and they wanted you to won beat every me. race right yeah. they, <laughs> want, they wanted to beat me and um it, it's amazing the enthusiasm, um, and, and so uh, in, term, in terms of the change, it's so important to recognize that when we have new leadership coming up, up you are able then to actually rev up uh, the enthusiasm, the passion, the effort, and, and the result. There, there is um, uh, an, a um, movement within our Latino community where our colleges now, our universities, have uh, so many uh, more uh, brown faces, and so I am very excited about that. And so that didn't happen overnight. Uh, there was a lot of work done by the uh, Hispanic Commission uh, with the Youth Summit, the folks uh, from INL with the Hispanic Youth Symposium. And we're very excited with College of Southern Idaho. They're at 24.2 Hispanic population, so they're so close to becoming a Hispanic-serving institution yes. right now. Yes, exciting. Yeah, very exciting. Um, I, I also need to um, uh, not to uh, diminish uh, the the honor by Boise State University. Um, um, I had previously received an honorary doctorate's degree, which may not be well known, but which to me also I'm very uh, proud uh, of, and that is uh, the one granted me by uh, the Northwest. Uh, uh, Nazarene University. Oh, wow. oh, so you're a double doctor. Uh, <laughs> yes, and so I, I was at a presentation of lawyers over in Caldwell not too long ago, mm -hmm. and, and the, one of the judges stood up, uh, a colleague of mine from the Court of Appeals, uh, Judge Husky, said, well, th th I, this is the only judge that I know that has two, two uh, uh, doctorate <laughs> degrees uh, wow. uh, to his name. So, um, so uh, again, that goes back to the work that I did uh, in my community of Nampa. Um, and working uh, with the regents, the Board of Regents, uh, and um, in the community, many things that were focused also on community and on youth and on families. Have you always been very um, involved in education? Because I know you were a lawyer, but you've always focused on making sure students focused on their education. It seemed like that was always one of your passions. Am I correct in saying Yes, very, very true. And, and it ties into what my message about my life, and that is the American dream. To me, uh, I believe that uh, related to the American dream is the opportunity to get an education, a college education, or training beyond high school. Uh, it need not be formal uh, college education. And that ties into just my background, one of 13 children, uh, but the only one uh, that you might say uh, has attained the, the, the level of, of stability, you might say, uh, say th that uh, uh, I enjoy and, and, and see myself very fortunate. Uh, but also the story of the of me and the young boy when I was working as a teacher's aide uh, in the Napa School District, uh, Isak, that when he, we were going over a lesson and we were sharing about what we wanted to be or the children were the fifth grade students, uh, and these were all ESL students, uh, English and second language students. 
what they wanted to be when they grew up. And no, nobody mentioned college. And so it, it was somewhat heartbreaking for me. But what was even uh, more powerful was when Isaac, one of the fifth graders, uh, turned to me and said, and Mr. Gutierrez, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm. And I said, well, Isaac, I'm actually going to Boise State University to become a teacher. And his eyes got real wide, and, and he just seemed very shocked. He says, that is impossible. And of course, to me, that was shocking to right. me to hear him say that. And I, so I followed up. Why do you say that, Isaac? He says, um, at the school that we were at, he says, look, uh, Mr. Gutierrez, look around. There are no brown teachers. And it was true back then in 1976. Uh, not quite true, but, but at least in terms of what he could see, it was true. And so that, that moved me to the rest of my career. Uh, I had two, voca two callings, the law and the working community with youth and uh, education. So as a judge, there are some restrictions, real or just cautionary, on what you can say, what you can be involved in. And I w we were wondering if now that you've retired and you're no longer a judge, if there's anything that you're um, looking forward to getting involved in or doing or participating in now that you're, you're no longer a judge and maybe have a little bit more freedom. You know, the, the areas, uh, aside from the ethical um, uh, restrictions that judges uh, abide by. And so you, you do, I did have a more, you might say, isolated lifestyle as a result. Um, you, and that is to avoid conflict of interest. Um, but the other one is um, I was raised by a grandmother who, when not being a child who did not know his father, and I've never known who my biological father is, not being raised by my mother, and who, who was I? And, and she instilled in me at a very young age, she says, um, Tico, she called me Tico, um, you, in Spanish, of course, mm -hmm. you're a child of God. Mm -hmm. And so um, having then been raised um, uh, in, in the uh, uh, Pentecostal faith, um, that was something that I, you know, in, in, in your work, any work environment, you you do not um, sort of engage in that kind of uh, you might say dialogue, mm -hmm. uh, and it's very you you feel very restrained because there's things where you you say, oh God, you know, in your mind you say God is at work, but you cannot express that, and and so and so you you're very restrained. So so um, interesting that I'm sitting here with you doing this podcast. Uh, <laughs> podcast uh, with uh, Radio Boise, uh, and, and so one of the things that I've taken up uh, is uh, doing a radio program for Sally Luz uh, Catholic radio station, the Spanish uh, version, uh, in a one-hour program that runs on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, Aprendamos Juntos, mm -hmm. learning together. And, uh, you know, again, learning to me, the love for learning uh, uh, comes in, which focuses on, on informing the community, both in terms of Things that are going on, uh, programs, organizations um, that affect their daily lives, a as well as uh, the spiritual aspect too. Um, so I get to work with uh, Father Jesus Camacho, uh, Pati Canto, and Roberto Amieva, and it's been a delight. Uh, we just finished up um, a conference, an annual conference that was held over at uh, 
Her Lady of the Valley in Cornwall. Um, working again with where I started, right, with humble, many of them um, laborers um, that are just so great to uh, see as brother and sister, as family, uh, and all of this working to become better uh, persons um, and to be able to um, serve. And really what we're talking about here is, is, is a career of service. So you, you started in Idaho um, working with farm workers, working with immigrants. And I was wondering if you had any thoughts, you know, you care deeply about that community, you know, and you've, you've worked a lot on their behalf. I was wondering if you have any thoughts about with the things that are happening nationally, um, what, what are some of the, the concerns and, and troubles facing the community here in Idaho that you'd like to see people address or help? Well, I think we, um, for me, I think we, uh, what I would like to see is just an awareness of, of, of the fact that we operate <clears throat> uh, in some sense at the political uh, level um, in a way that um, is not good for the country in the long run. Uh, it may be in the short run, um, uh, able, we may be able to achieve some things, uh, but in the long run, it's not good for the country. Uh, the um, last three years uh, has been very depressing um, on the one hand um, to see um, even <laughs> even Latino judges sort of viewed as, as being um, not le legitimate mm -hmm. um, and, and so when you attack a judge for who he is as a brown person I, to me again it, it is not good for the country as a whole uh, because we have to have faith in, 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 in our government, uh, all three branches. Uh, so it's been difficult, depressing, because I saw what it was doing to us as peoples, as human beings, uh, and it was not good. Uh, in the Latino community, there was tremendous fear and anxiety. And I, 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 I heard and I saw things of how people were retrenching and almost going into hiding. Mm. And I am thinking how sad um, to, to see uh, folks that have to live that way. On the other side of, of, of the coin, I saw people who were then looking at me very uh, with great distrust. In other words, they didn't know I was a judge, mm -hmm. but just as a, another brown face, and who would not smile back, who would not say, I should say in the present still, mm -hmm. who will not say um, wave or or. Um, good morning or good afternoon when you try to, to be friendly. And, and so to me, that is a result of the climate uh, at the political level that we're seeing. And, and so it is, it is not healthy for, for, for our country. Um, we build community, um, all of us, uh, we contribute in one way or another. And so uh, we cannot be divisive or... Um, uh, identify a group that might become a scapegoat uh, of some sort. So um, I have strong uh, feelings about it, and uh, uh, the work that I do really is to um, uh, take us from that state of being um, to where we become then the messengers of hope. Uh, if, if there is something to do uh, that will help my neighbor, then that falls on me to do it. Uh, and so through uh, the work that I do with the radio, 
do the work that I do with Teach for America uh, and the work that I do with the Knights of Columbus um, and the work that I contribute to in visiting schools and uh, talking to children and youth and to parents, um, then I'm trying to have us look at the things that we can do to make uh, change the situation we're in and um, make uh, the, uh, the lives of all people better. Well, we want to thank you for coming to us. It really, truly is an honor to have you. We've been like, so excited when, from the time that I first contacted you to now to know that you were coming on the podcast. That's why he kept bugging you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes. No, it's a pleasure uh, to be a part uh, of uh, the Press Tribune's uh, expansion into connecting uh, at, in new ways with the community uh, and bringing us stories and information that again builds us as a community and I, I, I whoever your bosses are tell them that that i really appreciate what they're doing yeah, that's wonderful well thank you so much to everyone for listening to this episode of the latino card can you tell people how to find um your other radio program not this one <laughs> if they want to listen <laughs> i think it's 1490 a.m mm -hmm. uh in spanish um so uh, the the, uh, my, the one hour program runs at 11 a.m. on Saturdays mm -hmm. and at 6 p.m. on Sundays. Okay. Sunday evenings. Awesome. Please follow us at the Latino Card. You can all, if you have any ideas for future guests, um, future ideas, future topics. If you just want to yell at us, go ahead and send us an email at latinocardidaho at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter. Our DMs are open. And please subscribe if you want more of this. Thanks so much, guys. Hasta luego. Thank you. Bye-bye.